Man, it's great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping here with you. And uh, we're launching a new series today. And uh, we're diving into the book of Daniel. And uh, we're going to call this series The God of My Today. The God of My Today. And uh, what does it mean to struggle with your God? What does it mean to be going through some times that may not be quite what you wanted and be able to say, Lord, I'm worshiping you in the midst? And that's what we're going to be learning to do as we look in this uh, set of chapters here. We're going through Daniel chapters 1 through 6, and we're calling it the God of my today, all right? And then just so you know, we're going to actually take Daniel chapters 7 through 12, and we're moving that out into the winter-spring, and we're going to make a study out of it on Wednesday nights. We're going to kind of partner men and women together, and we're going to walk through that and call it the God of my tomorrow, all right? The God of my tomorrow, and we're going to walk through what does it mean Daniel chapter 7 through 12 has a ton of info about end times and Christ and his reign and all of that. And so we're going to be partnering all that together, the God of my today and the God of my tomorrow, as we walk through Daniel in two different ways here, all right? So in this series, the God of my today, let's just make sure we understand a little bit about where we're coming from before we dive in, all right? A history moment. Here we go. So we go way back to the time of Abraham, and uh, we saw Abraham and Isaac and some of that stuff last week as we looked at the passage of Scripture and how God blessed the nation of Israel. Abraham, he was given a promise, and this promise was, dude, you would not believe how many people are going to be called your family, right? You are going to have like the stars of the sky like all over the place, there's going to be this massive nation under you and the blessing into the world because of and through you. Abraham was given that promise, all right? That was like 2000, 2100 BC. Like, wait, everybody say a long time ago. That was a long time ago, right? And then that, there was a lot that went on as they, as a family, uh, sojourned. They traveled along, they wandered, they grew, they ended up in Egypt, they ended up under slavery. And they were walking through that life and that struggle in slavery, but God continued to grow them. It says that they were made fruitful, and they got huge as a nation. And that got to about 1400 BC, like 700 years went by with them growing and then being a part of Egypt and being there, all right? Then they ended up getting out. They did the Exodus moment, and we saw some of that last week as we saw the plagues and all that that came out. The Exodus moment around 1400 BC, and then there was the traveling, the getting to their land. And as they took over their land, they ended up trusting in their God. There was a series of years that went by there while they were following with their God, and then they were like, hey, we feel a little weird without an actual human king. And I know you're our king, but we need a human king. We're made fun of around here, and we need a human king to lead us. And everybody say, that was a bad plan. Look, dude, they weren't trusting in God, but they were freaking out, and God kind of went with them along with that and said, fine, then have your human king. And he walked through it with them. And Saul was appointed king. That started around 1000 BC. We'll call it 1050 BC. So that's like 1100 years after the promise from Abraham. The kingship of Israel starts. They get three kings in, and it all busts loose. And at the end of Solomon's reign, both Israel ends up splitting. Two of the tribes go one way, ten go the other. So one's called the nation of Israel. The other's called the nation of Judah. Israel and Judah. Did you even know that? Some may not know that, that Israel split into two. 
And Israel and Judah were the two that went on from there. That happened in the 900 BC range. It goes on for a bunch of kings then. Judah has like 20 different kings. You get to the 17th king. His name is Jehoiakim. It's around 600 and some BC. And now we're caught up to where Daniel is at. Daniel, the book of Daniel, looking back into history, is looking back into 17 kings of Judah and three kings over the combined nation of Israel and hundreds of years of God leading and Egypt and the slavery and Abraham and the promise and God works in the midst of struggling and suffering and that's been shown over and over along the way. And now Daniel picks up with the book of Daniel way out here in 600 BC, some 1,500 years after Abraham and all that stuff going on, all right? That's a quick lay of the land and about as fast as I can do it so that we know what's going on, all right? Now, let's dive into Daniel chapter 1 and let's do a little learning. Lord, what do you have for us as the God of our today? And uh, point number one, trust. Even in the midst of struggle, God is moving and providing. Trust. Even in the midst of struggle, God is moving and providing. And uh, it's huge that we understand that God is at work. And sometimes it may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but God is at work. Everybody say, God is at work. And that's what we're going to be going through today here. Here we go. It starts out in chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Hey, we heard about that guy, right? That's the 17th king of Judah. We're looking at about 600 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Everybody say, that's not good. Like, we better read that well, right? It's one word, besieged. It doesn't mean brought really nice gifts for. That's not what it means. It means he came in and he took over. There was an attack. And it'd be easy to say, God, what are you doing? In the midst of the attack, there was a lot of question now going on about what was next. And Daniel has the answer. Look at the next sentence. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Yeah, I'm telling you, Jehoiakim was taken captive, and Daniel's like, let me just tell you a little bit about it. The Lord gave that over. Man, we better get this. God sets up kings, and he deposes them. God puts in place who's going to rule. Good for us to remember that when we're coming up to election time here, right? And uh, who knows which way it's going to go? Know this. Uh, our responsibility in a democratic nation is to put our single vote in, and then we trust our God to move. And sometimes God is blessing the nation with that choice and that allowance as things move. And other times God might even be saying, let me hand you over to that for a season. And uh, wherever we end up here, and however we're walking here, know this, God sets up. Everybody say, God sets up. If there was one little moment you could take away from right now as we head into this election era, it is, Lord, we're praying to see your hand move, and whatever happens, you're moving. And all of God's people said, and, uh, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, the land of Shinar. And uh, just so you know, that's Babylon. 
all right? That's Babylon. And so that's like from Jerusalem. It's traveling up and around, and it's hundreds and hundreds of miles all the way over to the east, to Babylon. And uh, that's where they were going, to, this, to the plains of Shinar, to the house of his God. This is Nebuchadnezzar's God. And he placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And notice that it is a little G. And uh, this God is not a real God. This God is not the God of the universe. This is him trying to have some level of religious expression, but it isn't to the God who lives and breathes and is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is giving it to a little g God, probably some level of demonic interaction in all that's going on and uh, some wrong uh, religious expression. And he took the stuff that he had gotten from Israel out of their temple, out of their worship, and brought it back over to Babylon and placed it there. Why? He was like, do you see how we have dominated them? I have taken their properties from their worship, and it is now in our worship place. Domination. It was a symbol to the people that he had gone hundreds of miles away and won a war against Judah. And... Uh, he placed these things in the treasury there. It says, The king then commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of his people, some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility. He's like, hey, come here. You're like in charge of this whole court. Do me a favor. Now go get the people from there. I want their nobility. I want the people who used to reign over that nation here under my thumb where I'll rule, you go get them, and you bring them here. And everybody say, God had a plan. And we better know it. God had a plan in the midst, as Ashpenaz now grabs some people, and they go back to Israel, who had been conquered, to Judah, to actually dive in and grab some nobility. And I love this. You got to remember, Daniel's the one writing Daniel, right? So here's Daniel's little take on who got taken. Uh, nobility. Youth. Without blemish, of good appearance, skilled in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, competent to stand in the king's palace. Hey, newsflash, just so you know, one of them was Daniel. And he's like, I'm just telling you, they were good-looking dudes. They were smart. They could think. They were brilliant. Those people, and it's, here's the beauty, he gets to be like, it's inspired. God told me to say it. Right? And uh, so this recorded true moment of the good-looking nobility of which Daniel is one. And uh, they end up being placed in front of the king. That's the goal, to bring him back and put him in front of the king, to stand in the king's palace, it says, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And uh, this is of the area around Babylon. And uh, all that they knew and all that they had learned. And everybody say, God had a plan. Man, as Daniel is now being taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles away from his family, from his home, from his comfort, from what he would have loved to have seen continue. And he was dropped in Babylon where he was now going to be placed in front of kings and trained and taught. It says, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And uh, that's a lot like college, right? 
Like, hey, we've got a special meal plan for you. And it's going to take about three years before you can really graduate from this thing. And we're going to put you through the paces. And we're looking for you to end up thriving along the way. And uh, they were to be educated for three years. At the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Why? Well, that was for their final oral dissertation. They were going to be checked and tested on what they learned and what they knew and were they really progressing appropriately? Was this working? And uh, among these taken was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them these names. And uh, how do you know you're a slave? Because they're like, yeah, that's not your name anymore, bro. Now we're going to call you this, right? And a uh, new name for him. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And uh, the names that they now had to take on in a new country, in a new world, as they took on new diet, as they took on new education, that's what the plan of the king was. And uh, we're going to set this down before you and Man, how often do we end up in a situation where we don't see God's plan in it and we don't see his hand in it? In fact, we just are not expecting the right things and it gets so brutally hard to trust. To trust. This first point here was to trust even in the midst of struggle and uh, I'm just telling you the top killer to trust is fear. It will kill your trust. Fear, the what if, the worry, the but what about? Fear. God, this isn't the way I expected it to come down. And our expectations often build into our fear. Did you know that? You start getting afraid because you expected A. And when it didn't start happening, you started going, then what's going to happen? What if? And now you start gripping fear. Hey, just so you know, when we tend to fear, we tend to control. Which, by the way, is the exact opposite of trust. All right? And so if we're going to trust, it's time to set down the fear. That really means we got to get a biblical expectation going on. And uh, I've said this a million times. I'm going to say it again. Maybe this is the first time you're going to hear me say it. Lord, please open our ears. Ready? Our expectation as believers cannot include, dude, I just want to be comfortable. Everybody say, can't include that. That was the weakest little answer. Everybody say, can't include that. Dude, we cannot just sit there saying, Lord, make me comfortable. That's what I want it to be. Just my comfort, please. God's got a different plan. He's like, I'm conforming you to the image of my son. I will use situation and circumstance to shape you and grow you. Do not be looking for the, Lord, show me off and make me comfortable, please. Instead, you look for this, Lord, shape me and change me that you might be glorified. And all of God's people said, and I'm telling you, that's got to be our expectation. That is easy to say for an hour in church on Sunday morning. And then we get out of here and we start walking into our everyday life and we get right back to, hey, that wasn't very comfortable. What are they doing with, right? We go right back to it. Lord, help me have the right expectation. I'm just telling you, expectation is everything. And, uh, this past weekend, I had quite the little experience. 
Um, you're not going to believe me when I say this, but it's for real. This really happened. I'm not making this story up. So Friday night into Saturday morning early, all right? It's early morning. I'm having a hard time sleeping. Our dog, I don't know what's going on, ear infection or something. So he chose like, hey, you know, the cool thing would be to crawl up on the pillow next to them and shake my head every 20 minutes for the next four hours, right? So he's waking me up nonstop all night long. And uh, I'm finally, I'm moving him to the foot of the bed or dropping him off the bed one time. I never told you that, babe. I put him off the bed. <laughs> and he came back on. And uh, he ends up kind of freaking out over and over again. And, and uh, I'm laying there wide awake at about 5.30-ish, 5.40, something like that. And all of a sudden I hear, thud. And I'm like, what was that? That is a weird sound. And then I hear it again. And I'm like, that came from the garage. That is in our garage. Oh my word, what is going on? And now I'm like, I'm just going to lay here. <laughs> uh, and then my dog goes, all like 14 pounds of them. Right? And I'm like, all right, I better get up and check this out. So I get up and I walk over and I open up our bedroom door, and two people walk in to our kitchen with a flashlight on, and I'm, I lost three years of my life right there. <laughs> and I'm like, ho, right? And then, by the grace of God, he speaks to me in the middle of the night and says, that's your daughter, dude. <laughs> She slept over at someone else's house and is coming in early. I'm telling you, it's a good thing that I didn't have a weapon. I'm like, I look over, and then I can start to see an image, and I'm like, it's my daughter, Alyssa, coming in. So I let the dog out, and he runs over, and he's like jumping all around happy and licking her. And I'm telling you, I lost three to four years of my life at least in that moment as she comes in at 5.45 in the morning to get changed, to get ready to go out to a junior high event going on that day all day long yesterday. And uh, they had a blast together. I'd never even talked to her about it. She doesn't even know the story yet, really. So uh, if you see her, feel free to share with Alyssa how she took three years off my life. <laughs> and I just want you to know, dude, expectation is everything. If I had had a little text that said, hey, heads up, I'm coming in the house at 5.45. I'll use my flashlight on my phone instead of turning on the lights so I don't wake everybody up. That would have helped me a little, you know? And uh, expectation is everything. Dude, what's your expectation in life? Are you expecting your God to work in your life through the hard and through the good to grow you to be more like him? Are you expecting that? Or are you looking for a straight-up comfort walk? I'm telling you, your expectation is your everything on this trust. Put your expectation in the right place and watch God rock you. And all of God's people said, that's step one. And uh, Daniel understood, as he said, and the Lord gave. He saw God's hand in all of this as he was trusting in the midst. Number two, submission. Always seek permission, not forgiveness. Letting God lead. Submission. Always seek permission, not forgiveness. Letting God lead. And uh, this is a huge deal. It starts out in verse 8. But Daniel 
resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Remember, the king's plan was, hey, you're going on a three-year meal plan with me. And Daniel's like, yeah, I don't think so. He resolved not to. Do you know what the word resolved means? It's like, "Mm, yeah, not going to do that. Going to have to find a way not to, but I'm not going to do that. Why? Was he like, yeah, I don't really, that food doesn't taste good. I mean, these guys are like Chaldeans. Like, that's not what it was. This is what it was. They were eating things that were most likely against the law that Israel had taken. Foods that they were declaring unclean, ways of eating it that were unclean, and in order to honor and worship his God as to the Lord, he resolved not to take this step. And to hear me, we always are needing to be underneath the authority over us as to the Lord, right? And when there's a request coming down that's going to violate what God's calling you to be and do from his word, watch yourself. It's as to the Lord. And Daniel's like, I appreciate the request, but I can't go there. You're calling me to do something that will no longer honor and respect what God's calling me to honor and respect. And uh, I'm going to stand by the things God has declared as being an unclean moment. I'm not going to go there. And uh, so Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. Please notice it does use the word defile there a strong indicator that these are things that were violating God's law for the Jewish person. It says, therefore, and when we see the therefore, we say, even in in narrative, even in a story flow, when we see the therefore, it's a connecting word that's letting us know. And the phrase right before it is like, he he resolved not to do this. He wasn't going to defile himself. So what did he do? Therefore, he lied and faked it. And pretended like he was eating the food, but really didn't. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. He went and asked for permission. He sat under the hand and the headship and the leadership, and he said, you're in charge. Would it be okay if? And uh, here's my request. And... uh, Daniel's view towards what was happening. Look at the next sentence. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion. God gave. Daniel's like, I'm just telling you God was moving in every facet of what was going on. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim over. And the whole thing was falling down. And now God's giving Daniel favor. God gives. God works in the midst of situations and struggles. God gives. And Daniel's like, you just need to understand My God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, Yeah, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? He's like, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying with this whole defiling thing. But dude, when you start looking worse than the others, my head rolls. And that's not a good plan for me. So I understand what you're asking, but I can't go there. I can't have you looking worse than the other ones. And uh, he says here, 
The chief of the eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my Lord who assigned your food and drink. Why should I uh, do this thing in worse condition than in the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Like literally, if you look bad, I die. Do you understand this, Daniel? Can you imagine that conversation going on? Hey, I was wondering if, you know, if I could not eat that, because that's like kind of against the law for honoring my God. You know, would that be okay? You know. Uh, Dude, when you look bad, I die. It's really important to me that you're looking good and getting smart. I'm really not cool with that plan. I need you to stay on tact with the plan, right? This is the chief of the eunuchs being able to speak here and challenge him. And Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the four that had come from Judah, right? He said, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And I'm just saying, bummer. As I read that, like, that doesn't even sound good at all. I am not a straight-up vegetarian. I enjoy eating a good piece of meat. But Daniel's statement here was, hey, how about we just do the vegetable and water plan and uh, test us? In other words, dude, give it 10 days and let's see what God does. Just watch what happens. And if it doesn't work, just do it on a small-scale test. And if it doesn't work, then fine, I'll follow you. And what you want and what you need is what you'll get. Are you hearing how much he's putting it in the hands of the leader there? And uh, let me just ask you, do you have a boss, somebody you're trying to work with or work for, how are you doing at letting them lead? Make sure you understand that God sets up kings and deposes, yes, But God works with all leadership. We're going to talk about that in just a second, Romans chapter 13. And uh, huge deal. And uh, Daniel's like, just give it a test, man, 10 days. And uh, I'm surprised. 10 days seems like a short time to me, you know? And so they must have really thought this vegetable and water plan was going to make them emaciate fast, right? Like, you're going to look terrible in two days. He's like, fine, let's give it 10 and we'll see what we look like. And if we're looking better than the other guys... Then, what do you think? And he's like, all right, we'll give it a try, right? It says, so uh, he listened to them in this matter. And uh, it was a huge deal. Starting in verse 13, they let, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. He listened to them in this matter. He tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, there was a result. It says, at the end of the 10 days, they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who, are the, who ate the king's food. They were better in appearance. Remember, this is Daniel writing this. He's like, and after 10 days, we were looking fine. <laughs> right? And uh, guys, if you're looking for a complimentary phrase, do not use this phrase. Fatter in flesh. That's not a good moment. Baby, you look awesome. You are fatter in flesh. And, uh, right, that's not complimentary in our society. But in their society, this was a very complimentary phrase. To be saying fatter in flesh, it meant that they were doing well. They didn't have to work hard. And they, they could go after it. And uh, some of you are like, I don't know. I, I kind of like that fatter in flesh phrase. Let's make that our new expectation. Right? And uh, let's go after that. And 
This was the battle cry, better in appearance, fatter in flesh. The youths were looking good. So the steward took away their food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. All right, the 10 days is working. We'll give it another longer shot. Let's go after this and see what happens. You're looking better than them. Maybe I'll have a new dietary plan and I'll be a genius. And so the stewards go after it. And they're trying to honor God in the midst of it. And uh, hey, just so you know, Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. Really important to understand how to work with leadership. Romans 13, verses 1 and 2. I'll just read it for you here. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, exist have been instituted by God. Let me read that again. There is no authority except from God. Dude, you don't know my boss. You're right, I don't. I just know the universal statement here in Scripture. There is no authority. It's not most authority. It is all authority is established by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment and sit under well. And Daniel gives us a great example here of how to work with a boss and how to talk it through and ask for permissions, for how to be able to ask in a way that makes sense, to hear their concerns, and to be able to answer back in a way that takes into consideration them, not just you, and work with your boss as well. And what's that look like for you? And, hey, kids, what's that look like for you with your parents to be able to listen well? to respect well, to be able to ask for permission, not just go do your own thing. Make sure that God is honored as you respect the authority over you. And yes, that's parents in your home. And uh, Showing a respect, man, in a huge way. Uh, it's a big deal that we grasp this. Daniel's a great model for this submission. Always seek permission, not forgiveness. You know what that means, right? That phrase, it's the, I'm going to go do it even though you don't want it done. And later I'll just tell you sorry. And everybody say that's a bad plan. That is not honoring and respecting your God over you and the people he's placed in charge. And to work with them. Show respect and honor in it. I'm telling you, the God of your today always works through the leadership he's placed over. Make sure you see it and respond to it. And watch God work. All right? And, uh, so I was thinking about an example for this, and I can tell you uh, the one that is so rich and true for us. I've actually used this illustration once before, but it's good to hear it. Um, John and I, when we were looking to go into the senior pastorate, when we were looking to step from adult ministries up in Harvest Naperville into a senior pastorate, uh, I was talking with my senior pastor up there. And the statement was not, I want you to understand I'm leaving Find a spot or I'll find a spot. That's, the, like, that's not how it went. I went and said, we're thinking about a senior pastorate, but we want it on your timetable. What makes sense for this church, for the health of the church? What makes sense for us? And where you could see that fit working. And, and uh, we talked back, back and forth. There was a lot of interaction that went on. Uh, when this opportunity opened up down here in Harvest Peoria, we were very aware of Peoria. We had done a wedding the year before. We knew some people down here. We had some thoughts and some passions about being here. And I went around and I said, hey, what do you think about maybe Peoria? And his answer was, not a chance. Not doing it. 
You're not going there. We're not going to do that. There's a number of reasons, and I don't even want to go into why. You're not going there. I don't see that as a fit for you. And uh, so we're going to hold back on that. And uh, I'll be honest, we didn't understand it and uh, didn't quite agree with it and would have preferred to go and uh, at least interview. But he didn't want that to happen, and so I sat under and showed some respect. I'm like, God, if you know something that's going on that I don't know, then I'm trusting you in this. And uh, that was not a fun prayer. But to say, Lord, your will in this lead through leadership. And we're going to sit under. It became our battle cry. We will leave this church with the blessing of leadership, not with the upset and this and anger. That's where we're going. And uh, I want to be a partner with them. I don't want to move against. And let's see what God does. And uh, there was a number of different events that went on. I won't go into all the details. It was amazing to watch God's hand move in different things. But really quickly, one opportunity I had was to lead a turbo group. I was kind of doing small group stuff like Pastor Mike does here. And, and I was running small groups and I ran a turbo group over the summer. We had 18 or so people in our group, future leaders coming through. And I'm training and teaching and working with them and shaping a passion and getting them hungry for Christ and getting excited doing ministry with them, getting them set for doing ministry in the future. And there's a few of them that were like, we're not doing anything. I'm excited to do this study with you, but I've been so hurt in my prior experience. I need time. And we're like, that's fine. And we spent some time together. We prayed with them and walked with them. And by the end of that summer, we had every single couple step forward to go into leadership and God used that moment because it turned out there was one couple in there that Ron had been talking to and trying to get moving across into serving and they wouldn't serve. And after sitting in the turbo thing over the summer for three months, he ended up stepping up, not just small, but huge and going after some things big. And uh, God used that moment. And uh, Ron was like, you know what? I'm seeing that God's using you to build leaders. It's time. And he came back and said, why don't you try for the Peoria thing now? Let's go for that. And uh, I ended up putting my name in, and it happened to be the same exact week that Elder Board here had heard about some things and had put our name in as well from the other direction. And uh, God just brought the two together in one week. I'm just telling you, when you trust leadership, God moves. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. And uh, I'm just telling you, it was a sweet little moment. We interviewed two weeks later, three weeks later. Uh, we had a job offer, and four weeks later, we had moved down here, and we were the senior pastor of this church. And uh, there was seven months that went by where the answer was no, hold, and maybe not. And then the answer was, right now, go. Right? And that's just the way God works, and that's awesome. And we trust God to move in leadership, and that's the way it goes down, man. And I love the fact that we have a good relationship with Harvest Naperville and with Ron and we can look back and smile on God moving on so many facets of that and sit under well. And all of God's people said, man, that is watching the God of your today move. He speaks through leadership. Allow that to happen. You're like, even when they're stupid? And uh, yes, yes. Now, if they're asking you to sin, not that, but trust God to be moving and working, all right? And a huge deal. We see it in Daniel here as we see him trusting, as we see him submitting. And uh, third, third, hope. God provides what we need in order to do and be what he wants. Hope. God provides what we need in order to do and be what he wants. And, uh, and God has a plan he's going to provide in it. 
Notice the first verse here, verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Please notice who gave it. God. Who gave it to him? Really? Because they're sitting under the teaching of human beings. Why didn't he say, and the Babylonian individuals gave us learning and training? Because God is over it all. God is sovereign. He is managing it. He is watching over it, and he is providing in the midst of it. And as something is given to you as a blessing in this world, know this. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. James chapter 1. Man, know this. Your God is invested. Have a God view to things. God is always at the core. Hey, do you have a view of your God that has him checked out, not aware, and it's massively just a human interaction going on, and every once in a while God steps in? Just so you know, that's not what Scripture teaches. It's not. Every moment of every day, God is fully invested into your life. He loves you. And he is passionate for you. And God has a plan. Everybody just say it with me. God has a plan. Dude, God has a plan and he is fully invested into your life. What is he doing? And maybe it's turning sideways and going south right now. God has a plan. And maybe it's going northbound with a ton of blessing. Awesome. God has a plan and God will provide what is needed in the midst. Notice here, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Daniel did not just learn the Jewish culture. Daniel did not just learn the Jewish writings. He now learned worldwide international teaching and training. He is getting a breadth and a depth of training that God is going to use because he is going to open this man's eyes to the world and God is ruling over it all. Daniel is going to unfold this massive statement of world movements and God doing something all the way to the end of time. He's taking Daniel's mindset that is so Israel-focused and he's opening him up to a world out ahead of him. And he's placing him in a spot where God's name is going to become famous. Watch it unfold over these next chapters. It is amazing to watch God's plan work. And uh, huge as this goes down. He gives them all that they need. And it says, at the end of time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. This is that moment of oral dissertation where he's like, all right, young man, step up. What's your understanding in this area? And then he begins to share forth what he knows. And what do you understand of how these things work together? And he shares what he knows. Share with me a poem that you've learned. And he shares it. What is your favorite written literature that you have read? And he shares it. And they're talking back and forth, interacting as they're sharing out what's going on. The king is finding out if this actually worked, this three-year collegiate plan. And... Um, by the way, for those of you who have kids in college, you've ever thought at some point you're like, I'm sitting my kids down. We're doing this. Come before the king. 
right? I have given you dining commons for four years and learning and training. Now tell me what you've learned, right? Let's make sure this money's doing something. And uh, I'm telling you, this is that moment of checking on the work and making sure it's coming through. It says, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom. Again, that humble moment for Daniel. They checked with us. Them, us. Them, uh, 10 times better, baby. Didn't matter what they knew. Man, did we know more. God's telling me to tell you that. Inspired word of God, right? And uh, Daniel was truly blessed and God was working through these men and huge things were taking place. Please notice 10 times more than who? The magicians and the enchanters. Let's talk about that for a second. These were the guys who used the black magic to go after information. And so kings wanted information and they were looking at the human level. These guys went into the dark level. They were going after things that would involve um, the magicians and enchanters would use incantations, call-outs. They were asking for insight to things that were happening in other places, even things that may be happening, setting up a future event. And how are the things setting up? And uh, they were getting information that was clearly demonically given. And uh, these were lower form beings than our God Almighty that were giving the information. And here's the deal. Daniel is found 10 times more brilliant. What's God doing? Hey, take the best of the best of what you've got. Now watch what I put over you. God is setting himself up to become known in the nation of Babylon as he is giving Daniel wisdom beyond all of this black magic wisdom. He is setting God Almighty up over any dark stuff that would go down. And uh, that's a huge, everybody just say that's a huge deal. God has a plan. And man, there are times where we don't know what's going on. Make sure you trust. Make sure you submit. Make sure you hope. God never calls you to go after something that he's not going to make you fully capable of managing. Okay? Hope. Hope for all that's needed. Lord, I want to be exactly what you're calling me to be. Look what it says at the end here. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. That's 539. So this is actually like about 70 years going by, 65 years. He's like, hey, just so you know, at the end of chapter one, 65 years I spent in the kingdom. I was trained as a youth and I spent my life there being able to counsel the king with the wisdom from God Almighty. This is a setup for what we get to see now in all the rest of Daniel unfolding. As Daniel is now able to share of visions and dreams and what God's saying and all that God's leading in, Daniel is introducing them to the God of the universe. He's like, I want to show you there is a king of kings and a lord of lords, and he is lord over all. This is my God. And Daniel would never steal credit. God gave. The Lord gave. God had a plan. That's Daniel's statement over and over through all of Daniel. Man, may we start living our lives that way. So now I ask you one simple question. You ready? What's your struggle? What is it that God's got you facing right now? Where your eyes are wide open 
Your expectations may even be being dashed right now. And you're like, God, I need to start hearing from you fast. May the God of my today step in in a very real way. That's your prayer. Lord, I'm looking to trust you. Lord, I'm willing to submit to the leadership around me. And I'm ready to hope beyond all measure that you are giving me everything I need. You've got a plan. And all of God's people said, Amen. Daniel chapter 1. Let's pray.